Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Just a little housekeeping. How to Be Sound is now a member of The Warren, Ireland's newest podcasting collective, I guess. Um, you can hear all about it now. Fancy a trip down a rabbit hole with a difference? Join us in The Warren. A Warren is a network of interconnecting rabbit burrows. The Warren is a podcast network and home to the most remarkable and innovative podcasts in Ireland. Podcasts like Petrified, How to Be Sound, The Critter Shed, Meet Your Maker, Science Drops, and The Dublin Story Slam. We're a group of Irish podcasters passionate about stories. And Ireland's soil is rich in stories. Which is why we've made our home here. The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. We're having a launch party on October 30th in the Sugar Club and tickets are just €5. I'll be there chatting all things How to Be Signed with comedian Garoud Farrelly, along with all of the other podcasters from The Warren and hopefully some surprises on the night. Like I said, tickets are just €5 and if you want to come along, check out thewarren.ie. Now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, your host, Rosemary McCabe, talk to people I think may be sounder than I am. Although today's is an exception because today's guest, <laughs> today, no, shh, today's guest I just saw put up on her own Instagram stories a list of her favorite podcasts. Was How To Be Sound on that list despite the fact that she is coming on this very podcast today? No, dear listeners, it was not. Before we get started, I will say that I am now doing a line of exclusive and limited edition merch. You can get yourself a pin that says Sounder for $10 at patreon.com slash McKay by signing up at the Ultimate Sounder tier. For your $10, not only will you get a beautiful enamel pin, you'll get access to my entire back catalogue of writing and other stuff that I can't remember right now. Today's guest on How To Be Sound is none other than journalist, writer, reality TV pundit and podcaster, Fanula Jones, Fanula, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope you don't hate me now. <laughs> I, I looked at your Instagram stories right before we started recording. I was like, oh, she's doing a list of her favorite podcasts. And like, to be fair, I wouldn't necessarily assume that How To Be Sound is in your favorite list of podcasts. But I would assume that if you were clever, you would have put it in the list because you knew you were coming on the podcast. I know, terrible marketing. I'm one that of those, seemed short-sighted of you or rude. It, both, <laughs> I think, to be honest, very much both. And I'm here for me being called out, to be honest. <laughs> Great, great. Tell me a little bit about your career. So when I first came across you, you were writing for Daily Edge. Yes, but the story didn't start there, as the old saying goes. Oh, um, oh, go on. Yeah, so I graduated from DCU, from journalism, in 2016. And I pretty much went straight into working, which I was very lucky with. I started working as a digital journalist with News Talk. So oh, amazing. we'd be responsible for populating the site with stories and whatever else I was kind of expected to be in more of a current affairs role and like follow the lead of the station, as you would imagine, but like mm-hmm. hated current affairs. So kind of tried to find my way into doing features and doing other stuff. And I was really lucky. My editor at the time was very open to that. So I went away and did all that. Was there for eight months and unfortunately was made redundant. 
And then that's when I was lucky enough to get in touch with Nicola Byrne, who was the editor of Daily Edge at the time, and was just basically freaking out, and as you would be, and was like, any shifts going, I need a job, whatever I want. And they just happened to kind of need someone to give a dig out at the time for freelance stuff. So I came on board then and pretty much just hung around for whatever it was, eight months as a freelance writer there. And then I got made permanent, which was very nice. And I enjoyed another year and a half there before eventually being made redundant again. <laughs> so so you've been made redundant twice by the age of? 23. That's kind of amazing. It is. That's that's like a lame to fame, not a claim to fame, but a lame to fame, but it's a good one. A lame to fame. I love that expression. Yeah, it's kind of, it's mad when I've said it out loud. I mean, it, it was very naive of me when it kind of first happened. I always associated people getting, like when people were made redundant, I always imagined it as someone being very long in their career or something. Of course, and of course, yeah. This was so new for me and it absolutely kind of caught me on the hop. But unfortunately, I suppose it's just reflective of the way the digital landscape is not even the digital landscape like just print and writing in general I think which is very sad I'm hoping tides will turn and whatever else and people will start realizing that they need to pay for content if they want it to keep existing is the yeah thing. yeah I mean I think media is one of the few industries that has like I guess it withstood the crash it was around in the boom withstood the crash you know we're kind of having a semi-boom but media hasn't really recovered because that's more of a trend thing and less to do with the economy and more to do with how people are consuming their media. And you're right, there is a real need to impress upon people the need to pay for their media. Yeah, because like, I mean, this is the thing as well, like there would have been a time, despite me even working for it, like I enjoy a lot of free content as well. And it's only from working in it and being like the, I don't know what the word is, like the result of people not paying that I realised mm. just how important it is and why if you like something... It's great to shout about it, and but put your money where your mouth is as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, not to put you on the spot now, but I, but I guess I'm more interested than anything else. What content do you pay for regularly now? So like for me, right, I pay for Netflix. I pay for Spotify. Because I'm currently in the States, I pay for Hulu. I don't think you can get that in Ireland. No, you, you can't. No, I don't think you can. Yeah. I also occasionally would buy magazines. I've started buying, like in the US, I'd buy The Atlantic. Like I like more of the kind of long reads. I used to buy an awful lot of women's magazines. And then I think after 10 years of buying them religiously, I suddenly realized they're all just the same articles kind of regurgitated. Like that's, that's very disrespectful. I know there are some incredible writers writing for women's magazines. But essentially, the articles that I'm talking about were the ones about kind of getting summer ready, getting winter ready. But there was a lot of focus on bodies and looks and I found that they just weren't making me feel good. So I stopped buying them. I also contribute to the Patreons of maybe eight people, I think. I At one stage, I started going through and just looking for female authors who were relying on Patreon to kind of fund their writing because that's what I'm doing as well. So I kind of went, I should support a few people who are doing what I do. So I support like Ijeoma Luo and I think N.K. Jemison, who's an incredible American woman of colour who's a sci-fi writer. And then I think I subscribe to The Guardian and the New York Times, although I think I've halted my subscription to the New York Times because I said I wasn't using it. Yeah. Well, this is... But thing, I, I, I mean, I, I love spending money, as anyone who knows <laughs> who uh, reads my money diaries will know. You love spending money. And I, I love, love to spend money. reading about you spending money. I'm the same. I could definitely be doing a lot better still as it is. 
I'm kind of the same as you. I train. I tend to. So I obviously support yourself on Patreon, though. I'm going to go up to a higher tier now to make up for the fact that I didn't post about <laughs> how to be sounding on Instagram. Listen, don't worry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bribery. It always works. What else? I support Who Weekly on Patreon. They're like a podcasting duo in America. They do a lot of kind of irreverent celeb stuff. Very, very funny. Really enjoy them. I haven't physically subscribed yet, but I'm going to subscribe to up to ninety. Emma Doran and Julie J. Breed is a big fan. Breed, who I do bandwagons with, and she brought me a to their live show and I laughed for the whole thing and I was just like why am I not supporting these guys they're so so funny and then I'm the same as yourself I'll pay for my Spotify and my Netflix and whatever else but I just think even if it means for one anyone out there listening if they just pick one thing that they really like and they regularly consume and it maybe mm. like obviously money's tight whatever we're trying to save as much as we can like just pick one person or one group of people who you want to support on Patreon or however, whatever they do it, like coffee or whatever. And just go to the lowest tier and it, it makes a difference. It all adds up for creators at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, when I first started with Patreon, I think I had my entry level set at $4. I mean, you know, it was kind of chugging along. And then I decided at one point, why don't I put in an entry level of $1? Where if people literally just want to kind of give what they can and they still get things. So, so like a lot of the people that I support on Patreon, you don't get any rewards. So you might give $5 a month and your reward is knowing that you're supporting their work, which I'm totally fine with. But I also get that other people are like, well, if I'm giving money, I want to see that I'm getting something. Yeah. So I make sure that my $1 subscribers get something too. But when I put in the $1, my subscriptions went up really, really quickly. And that was really interesting. I mean, kind of obvious, but also interesting to me because I was going, even though you're not getting as much for your $1 Obviously, 100 people at $1 is way better than 10 people at $4. Yeah. So it was really, really worth it. Do you subscribe to any, and I mean, like, I don't really either, I don't think. Do you subscribe to any traditional media, particularly Irish traditional media? Like, do you subscribe to the Irish Times, the Examiner, the Business Post, any of those? In terms of physical or online subscriptions? The only uh, one. Online, I guess. I'm trying to think. So the, actually, not anything Irish. I kind of feel a bit jaded with a lot of what is in tradition now again that's not really fair because again there's a lot of good stuff going on but like mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that article that Neve Horn did today in the Indo about yes like I did. climate change doesn't exist and I'm like or like no sorry that's not what she said in fairness she was like ah like it's probably grand or she was like is it that bad she whatever said, she said climate change could end up being good for us in the long run wasn't that the headline like climate yeah. change could end up being a good thing reverse and psychology. it was a similar one there was a similar one in the Irish Times, not to just slur the Indo, because there was a similar one in the Irish Times a couple of days ago by, by Maria Steen of the Iona Institute. Maria Steen, who was last seen campaigning vociferously against repeal and campaigning against the marriage equality referendum, I think. And she was in the Irish Times talking about how environmentalism is essentially a pagan cult. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually like similar to yourself. It's those kind of things that make me not want to... Because, because I used to subscribe to the Irish Times online for a while... And then I kind of went, why, like, why am I subscribing to allow them to platform people whose views, not only do I disagree with, but whose views I do not think should be platformed? Absolutely. And so, I think it's, again, as much as I believe in putting your money where your mouth is in terms of supporting someone, I also believe you should, like, not put your money where your mouth is in terms of, like, we've seen that deplatforming works. And I don't, as you said, I don't want to encourage anyone that I'm not behind or, and it's not even a case of doesn't share my views, but, like, is blatantly on a platform and is peddling a view that is like incorrect, like factually incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I would happily pay a subscription to the Irish Times to read an article by a scientist talking about how climate change might not be what we think it is by a scientist. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody who has a background, somebody who has experience, somebody who has studied this field. I don't really want to read a piece by a religious fundamentalist talking about how climate change is a pagan cult. Like, really? No <laughs> <laughs> what a I know, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Tell me, what did you do after you were made redundant from the Daily Edge? What happened then? What, what, what was next? So, had, had you already started your podcast, Bandwagons, at that point? Yes. So, Bandwagons started the end of 20, the very, very end of 2018. And I got made redundant then April of this year. So, 2019. So, however many months that is, I can't do maths. Like four, four and a bit. I was kind of at a point where in the events leading up to it, I was nearly expecting it. And I'd kind of said it to a few people and they were like, no, no, like you're being paranoid. It's fine. Never, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then obviously you get an email, you have a conversation, you find that out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And because I'd kind of gone straight into working after the whole news talk thing, I was like, right, I'm going to take a month. And again, this is my privilege because I was financially able to do this. I was like, just take a month and just sit on your arse and don't look don't look at anything, like just chillax, watch TV, do whatever you want. Just try not to think about work for a month and just hit the pause button because the, even the thought of trying to start again, I was already finding very daunting. And at this point, I just found out. So I was just like, maybe just relax the cacks and get yourself in a better mindset to be like, okay, this has happened. It's behind me now. It's not representative of me. It's just what happened with the company. You can get out there and get something else. To be clear, though, you were in the position to be able to take that month because you'd saved money, yes? Yeah, so this is the thing as well. Like, I mean, is being made redundant that bad? Hmm. Because I had a nice bank of savings from the first one that I was kind of at enough, like, to, I had a bit of leg room to move around. So, mm-hmm. but after a while, obviously, because you're paying rent up here in Dublin, like, it's all in good sitting on your arse. But I was, Oh, listen, listen, you know 100%. I mean? but, I was, but I was trying to differentiate to say it wasn't necessarily that you were being bankrolled by your parents who live in a country house in, like, Hoth. No. It was that you had put money aside from working and from being made redundant, which can be seen as lucky or unlucky. I suppose it's better to be made redundant than it is to be fired for a minor indiscretion. Absolutely, Or just yeah. to be... Like let go from, you know, I've been in a few different contract positions where I've been let go and you don't get any payments, you don't get anything because you were a freelancer. So it's definitely quote unquote better in that sense. But I was just trying to say like your privilege isn't necessarily that you were like, like a rich socialite. No, I wish. Running around on mommy and daddy's money. How did you find taking a month trying not to think about work? Do you think you like, were you successful at that? Kind of. I think... A month was probably too long just for myself because I'm someone who really enjoys working. I don't really do well with being idle. So kind of after maybe two and a half weeks of watching my other housemates go to work and they've all been through it and they could obviously sympathise with me, but life goes on for everyone else. There was a moment where I was like, okay, I need to start maybe, even if I just fire out like a few emails and just see because I was getting like, very feeling very depressed at home just feeling like I was kind of useless and then when you're on your own and you have that idle time and you start thinking oh well maybe it was my fault maybe if I'd done x maybe if I was better maybe if my pieces had done this and like the fact of the matter is it had nothing to do with me or the caliber of my work it was just the company restructuring unfortunately it was just a business decision yeah Yeah. and I mean like one of the things that strikes me as being particularly difficult is that you went from daily edge writing however many I presume kind of 8 10 12 pieces a day yeah, roughly. To then trying to slow your brain down and go, I don't have to do this. Like, I don't have to come up with all these ideas. I don't have to churn out this work. And I, I don't mean churn in a derogatory journalism sense, but you know what I mean? That you're not working on this fast paced schedule. 
it must be really difficult for your brain to suddenly adjust and go, okay, I'm here. Yeah. To be honest, like it kind of still is in a sense because just because Daily Edge, I feel served such a unique purpose in Irish media, women's media. Within the last year, we were trying to move it towards maybe more female orientated audience. And sometimes I still see things and I think that would make a great piece. That would be a great story. That would be very Daily Edge. And then I'm like, there is no Daily Edge. I'm not going. Do you know what I mean? And there's the other small little bits in terms of managing the social media and stuff where you'd have things in your head where you'd be like, I need to post something now. And then you think and you're like, oh no, I don't because it's gone. It was Mm. very, Mm. and I know other people I worked with felt the exact same. It was, it was quite hard. Yeah. Just manually trying to switch off like that. And what was the time frame between when you found out you were being made redundant and when you finished up in, in Daily Edge? So we were pretty much allowed finish kind of straight away, which was good. We were given like time. What is the word? Like you're basically just like work your notice or whatever. But obviously given the circumstances, yeah. which again, I'm very grateful for it. They were like, you don't have you don't have to come in. So we found out, was it the kind of middle of April? So then we had until technically the middle of April. So it was good because I can imagine going in under those circumstances, it would have been very hard to produce any of the kind of content we would have wanted to, knowing that it was coming to an end, you know what I mean? True. And trying to have, have yeah. a facade up. But I also think going from kind of 100 miles an hour to zero must be difficult too. Do you know what I mean? That like in a lot of jobs, I mean, look, I hate working at a notice period, no matter what the situation is. I find it so difficult. As soon as I find out that I'm leaving or the company's ending, I completely check out. And like, I can only say that now, hoping that I never get another job where somebody has to listen to this and go, we're never hiring her. But, (laughs) you know, like notice periods are so difficult. But at the same time, I think being let go from a job and waking up the next morning and going, "Okay, I'm not doing that now must also be very difficult because you don't get time to kind of unwind and unravel. Yeah, there is that. And I suppose for me... I suppose it was just just the fact that it had come so soon after news talk and the fact that it had happened again. Like I kind of felt this, and it doesn't make any sense at all, but I felt a real shame about it. And just the fact that how was I going to explain it to my family or people at home in Cove or like my friends at home in Cove that it, it had happened again because and especially because yeah. n- maybe they're not as familiar with the industry like my mom genuinely didn't believe it when I said it for the second time and I was like <laughs> she was like what and I was like yeah yeah no like I have no job again and she was like what like she she couldn't wrap her head around it it was it's it I think that's what I found hard and I still find kind of hard I really felt that I'd found my identity and my my niche with what I was doing with Daily yeah, Edge and kind yeah. of because we were doing such great things towards the end and kind of it snatched away before we could even realise any of the dreams and hopes we had. That's so dramatic, but you know what I mean? It no, was, no, I do. It was a bit hard. And so what did you do next? So you took your month off. What did that month allow you to do? Did it give you like a fresh perspective or was it literally just, I'm taking a break and then I'm going to start looking for jobs? It kind of was, like it kind of... I was able to reset and I met a lot of people who gave me a lot of good advice and were really, really helpful. Like I met yourself during the period when I was kind of toying with the idea of freelancing or kind of attempting to freelance in the middle and keeping things afloat with kind of odd jobs and nixers. And I suppose I kind of realised then that, God, I didn't know freelancing was really for me at, at this time in my life. I found it very very hard going from job to job and as we've already said about rent like nobody needs another conversation about how bad the rental crisis is everyone knows (laughs) but 
I, well, we do need an article from the Irish Times about how it's actually cheaper to buy than it oh, is to yeah, rent. Yeah, and how today's big news, and how it is somehow linked maybe to climate change. Perhaps who knows? Oh. Neil Horan, sound off. Who knows? Um, no, I. It was very much just kind of a rest for me, and then to be honest, like. I was very lucky again because all the Love Island stuff kind of started up again. Okay, so so pause and tell me about Love Island. So you kind of, I mean, I want to say accidentally, although it might have been by design, have become like one of the Irish voices of Love Island. Yeah. How did that happen? Good question. 2018, I kind of started just like chatting about it on my Instagram story. So I would watch the show and then I would come on the story and just give my thoughts. And I don't even think I did it from the start of the series. And I don't know why I did. I really don't. I don't know was it just to talk about it. Because I really liked the show. But I did. And I kind of garnered maybe like... I think it was about 5,000 followers from that. I think I went up to like 6k. And then this year it came around again. And people were like, are you going to do it again? Are you going to do it again? And I was like, I didn't really think it was that much of a thing. Like I was, I was enjoying it. It was a good bit of fun. So I was like, right, I'll start again. And I kicked it off with this series and I got a couple of shout outs from people who had much, much bigger followings. Like Darren Gary shouted me out and she, she has maybe 200, 300,000 followers or something on Instagram. Yeah. I don't know. But she showed me after when she tagged me in her story that like 200,000 people clicked through to my name to look. Wow. Now, obviously, now obviously they didn't follow me because otherwise I would be making a lot more money. Bastards. I'd be making Darren money, but, but I got like... Tens of thousands of followers just from those people being like, hey, she's funny. You should watch her talk about this show. It's weird. Like sometimes I'm like, sometimes I wonder why I did it. And sometimes I'm like, do I regret it? Because the audience is so much bigger. But I obviously don't. Because as I said, it opened me up to so many opportunities. I started doing coverage for Ireland AM. I started doing a lot of radio slots. As you said, like I kind of became this unofficial pundit for the show. Just kind of doing this commentary, which wasn't... I would like, it's pretty much unique to myself. It's just me. It's my opinions. I'm not trying to like do an act or anything. It's it, it's as I would be as if I was talking to a friend, but I'm just talking to 30,000 people now, which is demented to say out loud. That's actually something that I was going to say to you is that I would kind of check in. I don't think I watched, because I was in the US for the very start of Love Island, so I didn't watch your stories the whole way through. But anytime I did check in, I'd be like, how does Fanula have so much energy? Because it was almost like your stories were basically like a YouTube reaction video. So, you know, when you see people going like reaction to the new Miley Cyrus yeah, video, yeah, reaction yeah. to this feud or whatever, and you'd be going, oh my God, what the hell is this person playing at? And like for people who didn't watch the show, I'd say looking at your Instagram stories would be very discombobulating. <laughs> you'd check in and be like, who is she? What is going on? But it was this like, did you find it exhausting? Like, were there any days that you were like, I really don't want to do it tonight? This year, I found it very tough. And that was like... But I think the circumstances were different as well. Like I was still trying to freelance at that time. Like I was obviously up early. If I was doing any of the Ireland AM coverage, that was once a week. Two nights a week we were recording my pod on paper, which was the Love Island podcast I did with Orla Condon. And then we hadn't gone weekly at that point, but every fortnight I was recording with Breed with doing bandwagons so and then I would be watching the show and doing my own stories towards the end it did kind of get a lot and adrenaline I think adrenaline carried me so far and then it got 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. To a mm. point where I was like, I am really tired. But the difficult thing was then, if I didn't, I didn't like to come on and do a half hour story. But then if I didn't come on, people kind of got a bit ratty. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think it would be kind of like 50% people joking, being like, why aren't you on? And 50% of people who I know were like, why aren't you on? As if like, I don't exist beyond this weird world of people in bikinis snogging each other do you know what I mean it was and I found that very hard like I'm quite a sensitive person and I don't know why I'm on the internet for that reason but like if I get messages like that I feel incredibly guilty and also just very angry because yeah I was yeah. just trying to exist and I it was I, I yeah I did find sometimes it was very highly pressurized to be honest now that kind of stuff is really really annoying and like I used to get a lot of that as well from people basically going giving out about the content that I was doing and then also kind of pointing out that I hadn't been online going where are you like I've missed your stories a part of me would feel kind of guilty going oh god people have you know started following and kind of relying that you know relying on the fact that I'll be online but also I'd be really pissed off because I'd be like well you're not paying for anything and like on the odd occasions say even before Patreon where I would ask people to click through to my blog or to listen to my podcast or to do something some extra step for me and something like 10% of them would do it. And I'd be so pissed off going like you're you're like people can be so demanding. And then when you ask them to do something in return, they're very, very reluctant to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I find that really, really frustrating. Tumbleweeds like it's yeah, I totally get that. It's this expectation that people put on you to be a service provider 24 7 and that's just yeah. no like nobody should have to do that nobody is capable of doing that and I know Laurie Young always highlights it on her not always highlights it but highlights it but I've seen her recently like just give out about people asking her stuff that just because it's related to her brand or whatever stuff that's very easily googleable mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's just it would take you two seconds and then maybe if you don't have the answer for something again people getting ratty with you it's it's very hard to find that balance and I feel like if you're a consumer of that kind of media, I think you need to be more mindful. And I, I think people are, but very slowly, very, very slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's catching up very slowly. And I mean, as well, like like when it comes to me sometimes, when people are like, somebody messaged me one day and said, you know that granola that you always get in two pups, a cafe I used to go to, well, I do go to in Dublin a lot. They're like, you know when you used to get that granola, what's in it and do you have a photograph? <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, like, there's a photograph down my feed and what's in it? Like, look, like, look up the, me- you know, I was really baffled that I was like, surely you would message the cafe and go, hey, what's in your granola? But this Not is- like some random or you think has had the granola once. And this is the thing, but like, Ten times. like half the time when people have sent me like kind of uh, like maybe kind of very specific sustainability questions or like, and I'm like, I'm not an expert in sustainability, as I always say, or even other things. Oh, someone messaged me the other day asking about 
Now, she was very nice, in fairness, but asking about what to do with, like, old pillows and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I, I'll look into it, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, you sure you can just tear up the pillowcases and use them as rags? That's what they do in hotels. And they were like, yeah, but what about the stuffing? And I was just like, I can't reply to this because I'll either snap or I'll start crying. Like, I can't, like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, surely you can find that out somewhere else. Like, I can't be the messiah of what to do with used pillows. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You should, you should literally have written back something. Like, here's where I get evil, where I would write back to that person and go, well, what you should do is go down to Hickey's Home Focus and buy yourself some faux fur fabric and then use the stuffing to make teddy bears for children in need. <laughs> you know, it would literally be like, why don't you go to the effort of doing this incredibly complicated thing? That's the only, like, piss off. Yeah. But like the thing, like, I found as well, and I'm finding it, and I'm really trying to get out of the habit of it, and I've unfollowed a lot of them now. Especially after seeing Sally Hughes' video, but like I'm mega conscious now because this has gone from my personal page to a work page in inverted commas. Nobody can see me doing the inverted commas, but anyway, I'm very conscious. I was like, I'm gonna end up on one of these call out pages one of these days. So I'm mega careful about everything I do now, which I hate. And I'm trying to get out of the habit now where it's just, who cares? Unless you're actually breaking the law, which I hope not to do. Yeah. But. You know what? I used to be really careful. Well, basically, even before the call out pages, I used to be really paranoid that somebody would ask me something, I would say something rude, and it would somehow get back to my mother. And I know that sounds really <laughs> silly, but you know Ireland. Yeah, Like that, totally. that person would tell their friend who told their mom, who's friends with my mom, who's going to come back and go, were you rude to somebody on Instagram? I'm like, my mom doesn't understand Instagram. I'd just be like, were you rude to someone? Um, and then when the call out pages started happening, I started having this kind of paranoia, like, am I going to be called out? And then I realized I never lie. I am never kind of, like unsolicitedly rude to anyone like you know I never tell anyone to fuck off I never tell anyone to mind their own business I sometimes will say I'm sorry I can't help you you're gonna have to look that up which might seem a bit like short but I kind of feel like with the call out pages unless you're actively misleading people unless you're actually um, lying or kind of manipulating people to make money you're not gonna get called out yeah. do you know what I mean yeah like it, it like there are very specific things that you do to get called out and call out pages and like being sick and tired of people asking you for advice is not really one of them, I don't think, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it will happen. Yeah. And what would you, I mean, in an ideal scenario, like would the ideal scenario be writing for something like Daily Edge still or what do you have in mind career-wise that you would really, really like to be doing? I think this was another thing that kind of the redundancy made me realise is that I have no idea what I want to do still. And I think a lot of people are like that. And that's fine. And as I said, I'm really lucky that in what I'm doing, I can make a living, I can toddle on by until I figure that out, if I ever figure that out. I really enjoy doing the podcast. Sometimes I toy with the idea of whether I'd like to get into radio and be a host of something like that. And then sometimes I'm like, no, because obviously Radio in Ireland has its own issues as well. That could be another podcast. A lot of people, when I speak to them, they always say about coming back to the journalistic thing. And I do miss it and I do still really like it. But a lot of what I'm doing is like a lot of commercial writing now and not necessarily like features or anything kind of creative in that sense. And I feel like I'm so out of the habit that, you know, when you don't do it after a while, I've kind of like convinced mm -hmm. myself that I'm not really good at it anymore which is really hard. And I suppose the thing was, as I said, Daily Edge was such a unique space. I don't know where I'd fit anywhere that exists in Ireland at the minute. And I don't mean that in like a disparaging way to any of the outlets that exist in Ireland. No, 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 of course. But I mean, what, what Daily Edge was doing and the voices of, the, of Daily Edge's writers were very specific to the Daily Edge. So 
that totally makes sense to me that you'd be going, I couldn't do what I did for Daily Edge for anyone else. Or, or if you did, it would have to be for Image Magazine to give you like a two-page spread once a month and go, we want you to do something kind of irreverent. And, and it would be something very different for them. So there is no space right now that fits exactly what you were doing. What you said about not being sure if you're a good writer, I think you're a very good writer. Like I, you, your, your writing for Daily Edge was always brilliant. And, and writing, in my opinion, isn't something that you lose. You, you get worse at it. Not worse, but you get less brilliant at it, the less practice you have. And then you get better at it the more you do it. So I think it's kind of one of the things that like you get back into it and your first couple of attempts are like not as good as you'd like them to be, but you do get back into the swing of it. But also um, I wanted to touch on, so you mentioned there not being sure or not having any clue what you wanted to do. And I think like as you were saying that there, I kind of realized that we have this old fashioned idea set by society and culture and tradition in a sense that in our parents' generation, you decided what you wanted to do and you did that one thing for your life. And there are definitely a lot of people who are still doing that. There are a lot of people who are studying accountancy and then becoming accountants and doing that for their whole life or who are doing teaching and then becoming teachers and doing that for their whole lives. But I think there is an equal number of people who are doing one thing for eight years and then suddenly going, you know what, I'm really interested in this other thing. I'm going to train in that part time and then I'm going to do that for five years and then I'm going to end up falling into caring for my elderly mother. And I'm going to do that for six years. And then I might end up working in a nursing home because I found that very fulfilling. And I think that we, because we are living so much longer and we have a lot more flexibility, it's less important now than it ever was to decide what the one thing you want to do is because you can end up doing seven. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'd rather, and even when I, just as you were saying, and even when I think about it now, it's not a bad thing at all. And it's great to have all these areas that you enjoy and if you can say that you're good at and if you can take the time to do them at the same time or do them at different times like why not like I'd rather have a big Mm. patchwork quilt of a career than maybe say oh I just focused on this one area because this is like there's so much and this isn't just me I'm sure that it's the same with everyone else like we all have so many different interests that tie in with our career like music I love writing about music I love reviewing gigs um, I still love beauty, you know what I mean? There's Everyone is so multifaceted. We should give ourselves a time to explore kind of every facet. As you said, you're not tied down to just one thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just think that's, that's a really important thing to bear in mind because I know that I spent a lot of my 20s thinking that journalism was the one thing that I wanted to do and, the one, and basically the only thing that I was good at and the only thing that I would ever do well. And then when I found myself kind of moving out of journalism and going towards more maybe kind of social influencery sponsored content stuff and doing a bit more audio and doing a bit more TV, in my head, I kind of felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going off track. Like I'm, I'm losing what it is that I want to do, like the one thing that I want to do forever. And it's only in the last couple of years where I've kind of, I think probably it took taking a big break from media altogether, deciding to become a personal trainer, deciding after six months that I did not like getting up incessantly early and did not like counting at people all day long. Four more, three more, two more, very good. <laughs> um, it, was, it was only after that that I kind of went, actually, there's no shame in trying things and trying other things and, you know, doing X and doing Y and doing a bit of this and a bit of that. As long as you can... I mean, I was going to say pay your rent, but like in my case, as long as you can mooch off your relatives and live with them. No, I mean, you know, that's a very privileged thing that I can do right now. But as long as you can support yourself or you find a way to support yourself in some way where I think ideally you're not totally miserable, then it doesn't matter if you're doing the one thing 
that you always thought you'd do or that your mom yeah. or dad always thought you would do. Do you think you were initially held back as well? Because because I find this sometimes, you know how certain people don't really see the legitimacy in some careers like influencing or like, and again, it's a generational thing for some people with podcasting or whatever, with when it's media and digital because it's so broad and there's a view that some people just kind of don't think it's real when it very yeah. much is. Yeah, um, 100%. I think there is, um, for some people there is a real confusion when people love their jobs. And so in a sense that when you really, really love podcasting or you really, really love communicating with people via social media, that because you really love it, it's not a job, it's a hobby. And if it's not a job, it's a hobby, then you shouldn't be being paid for it because it's not a job, it's a hobby. So I think a lot of the time, like for me, when I was blogging, when I was kind of doing social media um, full time, I kind of spent a year, I think, being like, quote unquote, a social influencer I did get a lot of backlash that was like, what you're doing seems really enjoyable. Therefore, you shouldn't be getting paid for it. Yeah. And while I totally understand, like, I totally understand what it must be like to work in a job that, you know, like maybe you don't hate it. You know what I mean? You're working your job, you don't hate it, but you're looking at somebody on social media going to like launches for benefit. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing in this office when that person's swanning around town and earning a living? And, and looks like they're just having a great time. And like a lot of it is a great time. And then a lot of it is kind of hard work behind the scenes. So I do understand the mentality behind it. And I do think that mentality is shifting slightly as people realize, I mean, what we talked about there, that not only do you get like hundreds of people demanding your time and demanding your attention, but there's also a lot of work, a lot of equipment, a lot of kind of research and study that goes into it. Like, I don't know. So I like, I have a degree, I have a master's in journalism I've done several kind of different short courses in different things like public speaking and kind of journalism for radio. I've also read probably at least 50 books on either writing or media or journalism or digital media. Like I've spent so much time and training to do what it is that I do now that I think that's often forgotten as well. Yeah. That you kind of go, well, I have a background in this and I've been, you know, I've spent time and I've spent money. Like my master's wasn't free. Do you know what I mean? I've spent time and money learning how to do this yeah yeah so I mean I like like I think it is changing and people are are getting more used to the idea of paying for the content they consume it's definitely still I'm kind of a specific case so like one of the things that I find is is difficult is because I write my money diaries I think there's a kind of a a difficulty for people giving me money and then also seeing exactly how I'm spending it yeah and so sometimes I think people are like hang on I'm giving her money so she can spend 800 quid a week on absolutely nothing which is pretty much what I do every single week (laughs) like at the end of every week I go how the fuck did I spend that much money and what do I have to show for it and I have nothing I have like 17 million coffees like a couple of very fattening meals and maybe a book you were the best advert for eating out though and like just food and coffee in general like everything you eat and drink I want to eat and drink like it's just you like I can only imagine the amount of people who've gone into two pups and bought that granola like oh divine that granola is on I, I, that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to coming back to Ireland to have that oh. granola the chicken and waffles in Gertrude the number five pizza from Boco there's like loads of little things like that a cinnamon and walnut scroll from Brother Hubbard oh yum sourdough bread from Scale Bakery Anything from Bread 41. Oh, the morning buns, divine. They're my favorite. Yeah, a sweetened ice latte from Shoe Lane. These are the things. Although I guess when I come home, it won't be ice latte weather anymore. But I am looking forward to those things. my favorite things. 
Yeah, exactly. Will you be doing Winter Love Island? I mean... Long pause. Like, yeah. Like, I'm... Do you, I'm, do I'm you kind of feel like you have to? No, but there, like, I do feel like there is an expectation. At the same time, I don't know how well it's going to do. But, well, like, first of all, there's a lot of reports that it's supposed to be in South Africa this year in Cape Town. But apparently because of, like, the levels of violence there, I think they're trying to sort, suss out new location or there. Apparently it's like Love Island winter in jeopardy or whatever. I don't know. That could have been a load of shite. But anyway, I don't know if it's going to be as popular because... Like, it's very soon in comparison to the last series. And it, I feel like it might be a bit too much too soon for people. It's only four weeks is kind of the attitude I have about it. And oh, it's only four weeks, the winter one? It's only four weeks. I think it's... How I, can they fall in love in four weeks? I I mean, listen, that's my question a exactly, day, you know what I mean? A day in Love Island is like th- <laughs> 34 years on the outside. <laughs> Love Island. As they keep saying, Love Island. I, I'm not sure what myself and Orla are doing with regards to the podcast. I'd imagine she will be coming back and doing it and hopefully she will have me on as well. The thing is with January as well is there probably isn't going to be as much on. And I'm going That's to be what broke. I was going to say. Like, I feel like it will do well in Ireland anyway because in January, everyone's fucking doing dry, boring January. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be raining. It's going to be cold. There's not going to be that much on. I feel like asking people to watch I mean because you know you don't even need to watch six well you do but you don't even need to watch it six nights a week you need to watch it four nights a week or three you know what I mean yeah. like, and like catch up with the Saturdays one I don't think it's that big an ask no I, I like I could be wrong I I'd say I will do it like I do I'm st- I'm really interested like I still love my love for the show isn't last and I'd be really interested to see how it works and if it works so like I probably will be on in some way, shape or form. Like I've tr- like people have asked me to do other shows in between and it very rarely works with other shows. I think the way Love Island is that it's kind of just so instantaneous and everyone mm-hmm. leaves with an opinion and they want to talk about it with someone else. You don't yeah. really get that with a lot of other shows. So No, and it's all, I mean, Love Island is designed. So you're shown an hour of 24 hours and 24 hours with however many 20 different storylines you yeah. know like across all the different characters and you're shown maybe three storylines across one hour it's designed to be super super dramatic and yeah. that's what you get every single day so there's loads to work with that doesn't really happen with other shows but what I was going to ask is are you going to be rooting for the Love Island team on X Factor no oh my god I hate X- them. what is this X Factor thing Cancelled. so they're basically doing Simon Cowell was like right the ratings are lower than ever. Let's put some celebs in and we'll get them to sing. So it's basically the X Factor, but it's a celebrity version. And there's four ex-Love Island contestants. They've got together as a group. So it's like Eyal, Wes, Zara and Samira. They're like a singing yeah. group as well. And Una Healy's ex-husband, Ben Foden, is also in it oh, for yes. whatever reason. He looks like... What a, is he doing? He looks like a sack of ham in his promo pic. Sorry, I don't Sorry. mean to eject by men, but he does. Um, He's cancelled anyway. Did you anyway, see... So. Oh, he's totally cancelled. I presume you saw the update about him getting married. Yes. Oh. The post he posted. So I'll actually link to it in the show notes. There's no point in me even explaining it. It's wor- It's a staggering work of incredible genius that you should read yourselves. Okay. So I will link that in the show notes. I mean, this this celebrity X Factor, like A, I sound like my mother, but celebrities, I wouldn't recognise half of them. <laughs> <laughs> and B, I feel like X Factor, like I haven't watched it for about the last five years. And now I'm kind of going... 
Maybe I will. I love to see celebrities. And David Hasselhoff's daughter's on it. Yeah, like, I'm I'm very intrigued. I think it could be... See, the thing is, they actually did an X Actor one years ago for charity. Like, when your one Kate thing used to host it. Whatever her name is. I can't remember. Kate. Blonde one. This is so bad. Kate from Big Brother? No. Kate. Is it Kate? Anyway, Garraway? it was... No. It was, it was before <laughs> Dermot O'Leary. Anyway, yeah, when she used to host it, they did like a celeb one. And the only person I can remember that was on it was Chris Moyles, you know, the radio DJ. And it was like such a cringe fest, but like cracking TV. Do you know what I mean? Like that car crash TV, you can't look away. So well, that's kind of what I think about this. And I really would enjoy the idea of Simon Cowell insulting celebrities. Oh, it's it's going to be There's something very Roman circus about that that appeals to me. It's going to be very, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. It might not be good, but it'll definitely be interesting to see. And, and. Not that you're the TV guide now, but when that, when, when's that starting? Do you oh, know? Oh, just as well. I'm not the TV guide because I could not tell you. <laughs> I think it's like a couple of weeks. They've started like teasing, here are the groups, here are the unders. Didn't recognise a single under. Yeah. Well, except for Hayley Hasselhoff and only because of her surname. And then I had to Google her and go, is it David Hasselhoff's daughter? And then I got excited. Is this David like, Hasselhoff's daughter? Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, yeah. I'd imagine a celebrity Hasselhoff, what are the chances? Maybe within like the next... When is this going out? Like two, like two weeks. They'll have to have like they'll have to have it in time so that there's a Halloween special. So they all do spooky songs, and it'll oh, be wrapped yeah, up yeah. kind of before Christmas. So, oh, for the Christmas number one, which never really happens you. anymore. Are, are they going to do a celebrity thing where it's like the celebs get to number one? Because that's interesting oh, from a music perspective. But anyway, I that'd be gas. My sister pointed out to me the other day. So her sons. So she's four kids. The oldest one's eight and the youngest one's 18, 18 months. So let's actually discount the youngest one because he doesn't get a say. But the other three are always demanding music and they love listening to Ed Sheeran, The Shape of Me. They love listening to that song, I Just Got Paid. They are big fans of Maroon 5. And we were talking about how much of the um, Spotify charts has to be made up of people streaming songs for their kids to shut up in the car. Yeah. Do you oh, know what I mean? So like absolutely. sometimes when I look at the Spotify charts, I'm like, who the fuck is listening to this? And now I've realized it's kids. Yeah. And it's because like they're so earwormy that they're so earwormy yeah. that we hate them, but they get stuck in the kids' heads so then they're singing them, and they're they like, love them. Oh my god, mommy, I love this song. And it'll be like yeah. George Ezra for four days. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. nonstop. Yeah, it's now, that's interesting. I, I have managed to get the kids hooked on Old Town Road and my three year old nephew knows almost every word and keeps pointing out to Granny they're about to say booty, which I really <laughs> love. And Granny's like, Where I didn't hear it and then they have to play it again. It's too gas. Fanula, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Where can people find you and follow you online and otherwise? I am at Fanula J, J A Y, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I also have a podcast called Bandwagons with Brie Brown, which is at Bandwagons Podcast everywhere. That's about it. And that's available everywhere you get your podcast. That is available everywhere you get your podcasts, indeed, yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. And thank you all for listening to How to Be Sound. If you'd like to follow me, you can do so at Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac across pretty much all social media platforms. And like I said at the top, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe. You can get yourself a little limited edition sounder pin at the $10 level or higher. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, of course, to my incredible producer, Liam Garrity, whose own podcast, Meet Your Maker, you'll find on all good podcast platforms and at meetyourmaker.ie. And I'll catch you next time. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 